You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, church, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I encourage you to turn it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you today, you can take that, that Black Pew Bible again and turn it to page 954, and you'll be able to follow along with us as we walk through a portion of Scripture uh, this morning. That's kind of our habit here, here at a church. We just kind of pick one book, of the, one book of the Bible and just methodically work our way through it um, and just cover whatever, whatever that letter or that book covers in whatever order that it comes in. Oftentimes people will ask, like, did you choose that message for me? Or I knew that that message was for me today. And to be honest, we don't. Um, we have our sermons laid out until I think the end of November. Um, and it's just methodically working through God's word. But God's spirit uses God's word to work in people's hearts. And so uh, today is another one of those kinds of messages just to give you a little context, the book of 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Jesus followers living in a culture that does not know, nor, know God nor honor his ways. So they're living in a secular culture where, where they don't worship God, they don't follow Jesus, and, and their values drive their behavior. So they're, they're living as if there is no God or at least the God of the Bible. And the, reasons why for, the reason why 1 Corinthians oftentimes is so applicable to our lives is that we live in a culture very similar to the Christians here, here in Corinth. And, and their challenge and our challenge is to ask the question, how do we live amidst a culture that doesn't know God? How do, how, how do we live as followers of Jesus among people that don't honor God or know his ways? 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a group of believers asking that very question. And through, throughout the book, Paul has already addressed issues like how do we view leadership? How do we, how do we view the gospel? How do, last week, Pastor Mike talked about how do we handle sin? And the beginning of chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Paul is going to address another, another topic. How do we handle conflict? Because church, believe it or not, someday you will disagree with someone else in the church. Imagine that, right? How many of you, raise a show of hands, have ever disagreed with someone within, within the church? Raise your hands. Yeah. We live among people, right? This is normal. Believe it or not, there will be times that you will be wronged by other Christians. How many of you have been hurt by, by, a, by a Christian before? Raise your hand. No, no eyes. Don't be looking at people. We all know. And believe it or not, sooner or later, you will hurt another person within the church. So what do we do? What do we do when those things happen? What do we do when, when we're wronged by someone or we wrong someone else? Are we going to take our cues from the culture around us? Or are we going to submit to God's design for how Christians deal with conflict? And the thing that you and I need to understand and what will come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 simply is that Christians should handle conflict 
differently. That there should be a difference between how you and I handle conflict and disputes between, between believers and how the world deals with conflicts and, and, and disputes. There should be a visible difference on how we respond to those things. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see that Christians should run to a different authority, hold to different values, and live out of a different identity. And so we're going to hop into, I want, I want to read the first six verses of 1 Corinthians 6, just so that we can understand the problem. What exactly is going on here within the church? And then, and, and then we'll break down some other things afterwards. And so I'm just going to read the first six verses. Why don't you follow along with me as I read? So Paul writes, and he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? So how much, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Church, there is a lot there to unpack, but let me give you a little bit background into what Paul is speaking to here. See, the city of Corinth was known to have a large court system, and it was common for people to use it to get ahead financially and exploit people experiencing poverty. People were just throwing out lawsuits like crazy. So much like shows like, like Judge Judy, how many Ju Judge Judy fans are in here? Yo, I'll be honest, I grew, I grew up on that show. Like I, like, I remember smart-mouthing my mom one time and calling her Judge Judy because of her harsh, you know, condemnation. That didn't end well for me. Don't try it, kids. But, like, I grew up watching, like, daytime judge shows. And it's awesome because it's, it's always the same thing, right? Someone didn't pay a debt back. They were loaned money. They didn't, they didn't repay the money. They, someone signed a contract. They didn't keep up their end of the bargain. Uh, someone signed a lease for a house or an apartment. Now it's not going well a bad business deal. It's, all, it's always the, the same thing. These are civil cases, and Judge Jude would come in and hand down this like no-nonsense verdict, and everyone would cheer and everything else. That was going on in Corinth. People would gather around, gather in courthouses to be entertained by, by lawsuits that, that were being you know, determined uh, by, by the, the judge that day. Like the, con the, the comparison between their culture and our culture is... Incredible. But what happened was is that people would gather in and, and, and have their cases decided. But what Paul was concerned about here, he's not blasting the whole court system. Paul used the court system himself, you see in the book of Acts. What Paul is concerned about is that Christians were taking other Christians to courts in front of these unrighteous, unsaved judges, and they're airing all of their dirty laundry for a lost an unbelieving world to see. You see where that may be a problem? In verse 1, Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So Paul says, listen, you don't have to do this. There is a better way. And if a Christian hired a believer to do some work for them, 
and it wasn't done properly. They sued them instead of trying to work it out. If, if a small group was hosted at a, at a home and, and a child broke a window, instead of trying to work it out between the parents, they would just sue them and drag them into court. If two Christian business people came, came and started a business together and the business deal went sour, they would drag each other through the mud in front of, in, in front of lost and unsafe people. Paul says, listen, there is a better way to do things. He says, the first thing that we need to do is we need to run to a different authority. Instead of running to the court systems, we instead should run to the church. We should bring our problems to, to the church family uh, to, help, to help bring um, an answer there. Let me stop. There are parameters here that, that I think are very, very important. The first one is that, is that these are Christians bringing Christians to courts. All right? doesn't mean that you, if, you're, if an unsaved person... Um, does something to you if you if you hire an unsaved a roofing company and they come in and they, and they tear your roof off but then and then they disappear and take all your money paul isn't saying that you shouldn't sue them it's okay to go after those kinds of people when when they when they have breached a contract so first this is christian against christian and secondly paul is talking about civil cases not criminal cases see i think sometimes the church has gotten in trouble especially over the last 50 to 100 years, when criminal cases have happened within the church, when laws have been broken, when sexual abuse has happened, when embezzlement has happened, when any other kind of abuse or crime has happened, there have been churches that try to handle it internally without notifying the proper authority. That is wrong. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, Paul writes that the government is there to punish wrongdoers. And so when things like sexual misconduct, embezzlement, whatever it may be, when those things happen within the church, proper authorities should be notified immediately for two reasons. One, to bring justice to, to the victims that have, already, that have already experienced pain, but then also to protect other people as well. Sometimes churches will, will see, see some abuse happen and they let it go. And what it does, it allows that person, they may even discipline and other things and remove them from the church, but it doesn't stop them from going to the next church and the next church and doing the, the same exact thing. And so when criminal cases, when crimes occur, we report it to the authorities, all right? Paul is not talking about crime here. In three, because he uses three different words within these first three verses. He uses the words grievance, dispute, and trivial matters. These are civil cases. These are normal things when, when money or property have been lost and people would like to regain that money or that property. We're talking things like you see on those daytime judge shows. Debt not being paid back, breach of contract, those kinds of things. This is what Paul is talking about here. So I just want to set some parameters for us here this morning. But since those, when those parameters are being set, the question still remains. All right, but how do we deal? How do we deal with someone, with another believer, who has wronged us? Who has taken some money and not paid it back? Who has 
broken some property and not, and not properly repaid it, or whatever it may be. And Paul says, listen, Scripture lays out how, that, how we should handle those things. Pastor Mike brought it, brought it up last week when he talked about how do we deal with sin within the church. This is, this is a form of sin. So we, we deal with it the same way. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, outlines how we settle disputes within the church. Simply, we do this first. We address the problem personally. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. So church, if you've been wrong, the first step is to personally address the problem. You don't gossip. You don't allow bitterness to fester within your heart. You don't tell it to other people. You prayerfully bring it before the Lord. Ask for courage. Ask for the right attitude. Ask for humility. And you go and and, and talk to that person one-on-one. It's the first step if you've been wronged. But if, if, if they don't listen, this is what you do next. You take witnesses with you and address the problem again. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So again, you bring, you bring a couple other people from the church along with you. Hopefully people that are wise, people that can discern a situation. They can kind of see things. Maybe, maybe they're going to see some things that you haven't seen. Maybe, um, maybe they're able to, to see some blind spots that you have. But you bring people from within the church. And if they don't listen to that, to, to that circumstance, you bring it in front, of, in front of the church. Matthew 18, 17. Simply says, if, you, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. See, suppose reconciliation still cannot be accomplished because one party is unwilling to co- cooperate and agree to resolve the disputes. And in that case, you bring it before the church leaders and allow them to attempt to resolve the issue for you as well. Guys, this is our game plan. This is how we handle conflict. You see the difference between just going straight to a lawsuit and trying to resolve things in-house here. But the one thing that I struggled with as I as I prepared this message, and I struggled with with a few things. The one thing that I struggled with is that this, we have to believe that God's ways are best here. Because some people are like, well, I've been wronged. We have this perfectly good legal system here. Why can't I just go that route? And you can. But think about the cost. Think about the, the loss of testimony that the unbelieving world watches as two believers, two people who say that they love and follow Jesus, can't resolve something together. Think about the questions that people may have. These people say that they follow Jesus, but yet bitterness and unforgiveness rules their hearts. So this is a game plan, but we have to believe that God, that what God calls us to do, God actually, God actually is going to provide exactly what we need for that to happen. For that to happen, we do need a few things. See, God said that God will provide people who know his word, 
are filled by his spirit and and will be led into all wisdom and truth. One of the reasons why people don't go to the church is they believe that there's no one there that can resolve their problems, that there's no one there wise enough that can handle this dispute. I look around our church, and, and I think about the people that God has blessed us with. People who know his word. People who are wise in discerning situations. People that are led by the spirit of God. I believe that God has provided within our church family everything that we need to handle almost any disputes that you may have with another believer. God is good and faithful and will provide all that we need. And so we trust. We trust that God is going to give us what we need to resolve that conflict here within the church just as he commanded us to do. And a couple of really good resources when it comes to um, when it comes to this conflict, dealing with conflict and everything, there's two of them. This, this is like the keystone one when it comes to conflict called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Anything that Ken Sandy writes, I, I, I recommend. But this book is, it's long, it's weighty, it's 300 pages, but all this is is a book telling you how to live and resolve conflict in a biblical fashion. They act, he actually has a group of Christian lawyers that are available to kind of arbitrate disputes among believers as well. He does an amazing work. This other one is called by Brian Noble called Living Reconciled. This simply is having the attitudes needed to resolve conflict well. So I recommend both of these books. I can't spend a whole lot more time, again, on the process, but those books are both really helpful in what it looks like to running to the authority of the church. But Paul doesn't stop there says, not only should Christians handle conflict differently by running to the church instead of the courts, Paul also says that we need to hold to different values. See, friends, we live in a culture that is saturated by lawsuits and litigation. Each year, Americans file between 80 and 90 million lawsuits each year. 70% of all lawyers in the world live in America. That supply and demand piece. They know where they're going to go to get paid. And so they have a ton of work here. This is where they're going to be stationed at. We live in a culture that values winning over losing. Power over peace. Think about, think about just some of the hashtags and sayings that we we have in in our culture. The saying hashtag winning. We're all about winning. We want to make sure that we are on the winning side, on the winning team, that we, that, we, that, we are, that we do not look weak at all. We're all about winning. But church, like it or not, these are not Christian values. And Paul writes that these values go against the values found in the gospel. Look, look with me at verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat. It's already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong in the fraud, even your own brothers. See, church, we, we live in a culture that, that looks as, at lawsuits as a way to get ahead financially. I remember watching a show recently, and well, 
one of the characters said, I, I earned my money the old-fashioned way. I got ran over by a Lexus. That was it. Boom. And so people say all the time, times are tough financially. Why don't you just step out in, in front of a slowly driven city bus? It won't hurt that bad. But, but then afterwards, you sue the city. Times are tough. Find that piece of metal in that food at, at the restaurant and go nuts with it. Or drink that really hot cup of coffee at, at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, and, then, and, and sue, sue their pants off. This, this is a culture that we live in. But Paul says, maybe it's better sometimes that we suffer. Maybe it's better sometimes that, we, that we're defrauded, that we're wronged. And we don't run to lawsuits as the first, first way to get ahead financially. Maybe there's something to living like Jesus actually lived. And I just want to remind you of, of a few things that Paul calls us to follow Jesus, even if it leads to suffering. Because following Jesus is greater than fighting for our rights. This is a gospel value. The culture is not going to say this to you. The culture is never going to say, wait, wait, wait. You were hurt and you're not going to sue? You were a victim of something, and you're not going to push back and lawyer up and go for, for, for the throat? What's wrong with you? And Paul says, I want you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And consider the path that Jesus took. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Such a, an, an amazing verse about the humility of, of Christ. He says that Jesus exchanged the glory of heaven for a life of humility and poverty. Jesus, before coming down to earth as a baby, lived where? In heaven, worshipped by angels, living in, living in complete peace and, and, and worship and beauty. And he went from there to being born in a manger to live a humble, poor life so that you and I could experience eternal life. Jesus gave up his own rights for the sake of someone else. But it goes beyond that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, tells us that Jesus took our sin upon himself even though he never sinned. Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. He took our sin upon himself, even though he never sinned once in his life. Jesus gave up his rights for the good of someone else. Praise God that he did. And throughout his ministry, especially in his death, Jesus chose to suffer instead, instead of fighting. Of fighting. 1 Peter 2, 23, it's going to be up on the screen. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And listen, I know that many of you are struggling with this thought the same way I did as I, just, as I was preparing that this week. You say, but I'm the victim here. I'm the one who's been hurt. I deserve everything that I can get. 
friends, there may be times when another believer wrongs you. And you walk through the reconciliation process of going to them personally, of bringing one or two witnesses with them, of bringing it before the church. And they still can, and they still decide not to repay what you are owed. And church, it's at those moments that, that, that God invites us to something. That God invites us into this space where we, trust, where we entrust ourselves to God in the midst of our sufferings. It's in those moments where God says, all right, you have a choice to make. Are you going to trust me that I'm going to provide for your needs? That I'm, that, are you going to trust that I care for you enough? That one, I know what's going on in your life. And two, that I have the power and, 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 the, and the capability of meeting every one of your needs? Or are you going to run to a court system that is going to name, that is going to drag the name of Jesus through the mud? That is going to hurt the testimony of the gospel? Or are you simply going to trust that God will continue fighting for you even when you've stopped fighting for yourself? That's the rub. That's the hard question. The question of, am I going to have the values of this culture when it comes to conflict resolution, or am I going to trust that God is going to, that God is going to hold me up, take care of me, put me under his wing, and meet every one of my needs? Matthew 5 says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, because God already knows your needs. He says, look, look at the flowers they're taking care of. Look, look at the birds they're taking care of. And if God takes care, uh, takes care of flowers and birds who are his cre- creation, how much more is he going to take care of you whom he loves deeply and dearly as his child? We really trust that God is going to take care of our needs. Are we going to hold on to kingdom values instead of the values of the culture around us? So when conflict comes, we run to a different authority. We hold to different values. And lastly, we live out of a different identity. Verses 9 through 11, Paul ends this section on conflict by reminding them of a theological truth. In verse 9 it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will will inherit the kingdom of God. That phrase, don't you know, is there for a reason. It's a theological truth that Paul is reminding us of applied to this specific circumstance. He says, don't you know that these types of people, the unrighteous, the wrongdoers, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, Paul is calling them out of something. He says, don't be deceived. So some of these people were already kind of living in that space or being tempted to live, to live out these things. The unrighteous here isn't talking about their position before God. These are already saints. These are saved people. But rather, what characterizes their lifestyles. So he says, don't you know that people that practice these kinds of selfish sins... They don't experience the, 
they don't inherit the kingdom of God. They don't experience God's best. They don't experience God's hands of blessing upon their lives. So this list of sins that I, I just read begins with believing that these things are going to satisfy our hearts. Every single one of them begins with this idea that I'm going to get what I want, that I'm going to pursue some certain sin to satisfy my heart, and that, that's going to be my identity. See, how, how often do, do we see this in culture? People identify themselves by their unrighteous, unwilling behavior to obey God. I'm a drunkard. We do it all the time. I'm a drunk. He's a liar. He's a, she's a gossip. He's lazy. He's greedy. See, this list isn't just, we, we look at the big ones and we think, oh, yep, that's adulterer, immorality, everything like that. But look what else is in there. Greed, revilers, swindlers. This is identifying this kind, of, this kind of situation where we try to get everything that we can when we've been hurt. But he says, you live that way. You're not going to experience the hand of God upon your life. You're not going to experience God's full blessing upon your life. But I love that it doesn't end there. And we'll see this week and we'll see next week as well that Paul ends by reminding us of who we are. Verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, listen, I understand there's, that, that there's been tension as I've, as I've written these verses out, that you're struggling with, well, can I really trust God to provide for my needs? Can I really take things to the church instead of going to the courts? And Paul says, you can because of who you are now. I love this past tense here. Such were some of you. God called you out of that lifestyle. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how Paul finishes here. I know you feel the tension about running to the church. I know you feel the tension about giving up your rights and trusting God to take care of you. I know you feel the tension about walking away from sin, but amid that tension, Paul says you are different. Your identity has changed. No longer are you part of that list of unrighteousness. That was you, but not anymore. No longer are you covered in the stain of your sins. You've been washed clean. No longer does the world hold your life. You've been sanctified and set apart for righteousness' sake. You are different now. And no longer are you weighed down under the guilt and penalty of sin. You've been justified and and. and you are seen as righteous before God now. Believer, if you are here today, verse 11 is who you are. Live out of this identity. Friend, you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Know that whatever happens here in this life, whatever heartache and struggles you may endure, this isn't the end. No matter what kind of injustice you may have to endure in this life, and there are many, understand that God hasn't forgotten about you. 
I remember walking through, watching my, watching my family um, walk through a really messy divorce, and my mom struggling with, what do I do? Should, I, should, should we go to court? Should we do all these things? And we sought counsel. We took it to, we took it to the church. And we, we eventually did, my mom eventually did take him just for child support, alimony, not anything above any of that. She actually gave in on some, some of those things. But that gave us the opportunity to watch God work. And it gave, it gave us kids a front row seat to watch God provide. Because understand, what we decide on how we, how we deal with conflict isn't just about us. Paul is writing to a body of believers. And when we see other people dealing with conflict well, it is a living testament to the, the wisdom of God and the power of the gospel. And so remember, we're not in this alone. Our actions do impact the entire body of Christ. But live out of that identity. You are a child of God. Our hope isn't here. It is in heaven. And when Christ returns, he promises to wipe away every tear, right every wrong, and heal every source of brokenness. So friend, know that you're heard. If you're going through conflict today, know that God knows what you're going through. God sees you in your pain. God will honor when you, when you trust in him. God will keep fighting for you when you stop fighting for yourself. And understand that God has provided wise counsel within the body of Christ. We're going to walk with you throughout, throughout that struggle, whatever that may be. So Christians should deal with conflict differently. And as we close, and I invite the, the praise team and the prayer team forward, let me leave you with three questions that you can just kind of think about and, and meditate on um, through, throughout the day today or, or even through, throughout this week. And they simply are this. First, whom do you need to seek reconciliation with? If you have wronged someone, if you have been the one who has wronged someone else, whom do you need to seek reconciliation with? Ask the Lord that he would lead you and guide you to those people. Second, where is Jesus calling you to follow him into suffering? Some of us here today, Jesus is calling you to follow him into really hard places. Places of, uh, places of obedience, places of, places of trust. And we will, when we do those things, we walk in the footprints and the pathway of our Savior. Who, where is Jesus calling you to do that very thing? And lastly, where do you need to cling to your identity as a saint? For some of you, it's, I need to stop living in sin. This is not who I am. For others, I need to stop believing in the value systems of this world because this is not who I am. I should, I should follow the, the, the values of the gospel and be more interested in the kingdom of God than building my own kingdom. You are a saint, church. I am a saint. Let's start living like it.
Let's deal with conflict differently. Let's stand that. Let me pray over you guys, and we'll sing one more song. Father, God, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, God, that even though this is hard, God, you call us to something so amazing. God, and when we follow your design, Lord, you're going to show up over and over again. So, Father, forgive us. Forgive me where my values have not lined up with the values of the kingdom, or rather the values of our culture. God, forgive me, Lord, of not trusting you and not dealing with conflict the way that you have designed it to be dealt with, God. God, I pray over our people, Lord, that we would be a people that are known as peacemakers, that we would be a people, God, that are known for resolving conflict and even being willing to suffer loss for the sake of the good news of the gospel, God. May people, when they walk in here, know, notice that we resolve things differently, that we act differently than the world outside, God. And it begins by how we treat and relate to each other and how we deal with conflict, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that we'd have people step out in faith to trust you today, to, to, to trust you to do, God, what your word says. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless them for it. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.